LA Kings single game playoff tickets are available now as your Kings take on the Edmonton Oilers in round one. Head to lakings.com slash playoffs to get your tickets today. LA Kings playoffs are presented by Toyota, Yamava Resort and Casino at San Manuel and Jameson. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Uh, look, I can get up here and whine about officiating, but in all my years, I've learned that calls go your way or they don't go your way. It's really a waste of energy. So if they call the tripping penalty, it's a tripping penalty. That's just how it goes. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. And while we talk all year about individual players and team collectively, you try and build your team up for, for these days when it goes good or it goes bad. Um, it's not always about scoring goals and shooting the puck. It's about being mentally strong and, and recovering. And uh, I think we have those skills. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Kings return to Edmonton with the series tied 2-2. Two to two. Now, There's no time to dwell on the loss in Game 4, because Game 5 is tonight. All right, time to preview Game 5 to help me do that. Jack Jablonski, how are you doing tonight, Jack? I'm doing good. Better than uh, than the night of Game 4. Yeah, part of the reason I wanted you here with me is because you were there last night, and you were part of the conversation that we had after the game. And I had a feeling that with the benefit of a full night's sleep and, you know, some vitamin D, courtesy of our friend The Sun, uh, that I might have a little bit of a different take. Before the series started, I picked the Kings in six. Still possible. And I am sticking with it. All right. So here's the conclusion that I came to. I talked to uh, my dad multiple times today. I talked to some, (laughs) some people that I talked to about hockey things. And uh, I stumbled onto this, and I'm quite happy with it, so I'm going to throw it by you, and uh, and you tell me what you think when I'm done here. Yeah. Uh, I feel this way about the series that I have felt about Quentin Byfield, which is that everybody who's been being pessimistic about this series and everybody who's being optimistic about this series are both saying, saying the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're just changing the order of what they're saying and choosing a different emphasis on it. So... Yes, the Kings should have probably won game four. Yes, the Kings outplayed the Oilers for long stretches at a time during game four, choked away two different leads. Yes, the Kings stole game one. Yes, Corpusala was not as dynamite in game four as he was in games one and three. But if you just flip the order of, of the, there's no new information in either side of the argument. There's no new information in any of these games uh, because of how well they know each other. Mm -hmm. You know, the narrative changes a little bit, like you mentioned, because of how the game plays out, who takes the lead first and who comes back. Right. Because that's what we've seen, you know, specifically in all four of these games, but also, you know, throughout the what, 18 games in the last two years against these teams. So, you know, there's no new secrets. You know, both Todd and Jay Woodcroft have, have talked about how, Listen, we know what we're we know what to expect. It's a matter of who doesn't turn the puck over in the crucial times and and then at the same time who can convert when you do get those opportunities. But um you know, like you mentioned, uh, both teams can say we stole a game that we shouldn't have won. The other two games, hard-fought games, one-goal games with, you know, one being an empty netter to make it a two-goal game. So, you know, these teams are evenly matched. The series is Evenly matched at two apiece. It's a best of three now. So 
almost everybody that we spoke to from the team, coach, multiple players, <laughs> Jim Fox and Zach Dooley. I even said it out loud. It's more to go along than to 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 echo my actual feelings. All said the momentum doesn't exist. And while I agree to a point that momentum doesn't exist necessarily from the end of one game doesn't carry over to the beginning of the next. Mm-hmm. Phil Deneau said it absolutely does. And I, I think I think that the way he meant it is not the same as the way the other people mean it. Okay, elaborate. I don't want to like play psychic with Phil Deneau, but I yes. really like but I really like Phil Deneau. And I yes. talk to Phil Deneau more than I talk to anybody else in the locker room when we get the opportunities. And Phil strikes me, apologies if I'm putting words in Phil's mouth. Phil strikes me as the kind of guy who is ruled by positive emotions more than other people in the room. I, I can't speak on more than other people in the room because, you know, both of us are in the media. We're both in the locker rooms. You so more than I based on our schedules. Mm. But um, I agree with he he always takes the high road in terms of positivity glass half full you know in speaking to him after wins and after losses he's often the guy that we hear from post game when we get our doors blown off and you know it's a matter of it happened you know we we did have some good today or we didn't and you know it's a matter of you know wash it you know get out of here let's move on to the next one or it's hey we made we had some positives we liked what we did here we just got to clean up x y and z He's also, I will, I'm going to sound like an old when I do this, and I apologize to everybody under the age of, I don't know, 25. But Phil Deneau is a vibe. And, oh, boy. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. Carry on. And going, when, get past when, it. When he got here and we interviewed him, he said, with the right culture, we can beat anybody. And I firmly believe that the most of the success last season came as a result of that mentality and that culture. I said it last year. I think that bringing in Arvidsson and Deneau and Edler and the call-up of Dursey injected this team with a, a culture, with a with a yeah. They they built a personality of who yeah. the Kings are. It it's it's not the two thousand twelve to two thousand and very much Kings. not. You're right. It's not. Are there parallels? There's a few. And I think the parallels are this team is not easy to play against. And that's something that you can take from both of these two little eras in the Kings over the last 10 years. Um, but you're right. The the addition of Victor Arvidsson, the addition of Phil Deneau, the call-up of uh, Sean Dursey, I think the word that I see with them is resilience. And that's something that I wouldn't say resilience was an identity from the Kings aspect in 2012. I think they were more of a grit, hard-nosed assholes that just made life hell. The Kings they didn't, they didn't hell, need to be resilient because they just came out and put and people down 3 nothing the, every yeah, series. Yeah. Exactly. And the Kings, it's a different league. It's a different time. You know, yep. We still have two players from, those era, from that era. But uh, like you mentioned, the Phil Deneau, the addition of Edler, the veteran leadership... You have voices, but you have a personality of a team that meshes together from line one to line four when everyone is playing well and healthy. So the Kings played well in game four. 
and this is where and this is why I, I referenced you know Phil Deneau and the and the momentum and the vibes and everything. So when Todd McClellan says there's no momentum carryover from one game, or when you know which, Jim which Fox says it, it's I true. Agree. It's true, absolutely. But if in that locker room, the leadership group, and maybe not the leadership, maybe the entire roster comes together, looks at what they did in Game Four, and says, "We did." what we were trying to do and we did it well it just didn't happen for 60 minutes what we have to fix is doing it for 60 minutes we don't have to reinvent the wheel here we're not looking for a new equation we just need to do it for a full 60 minutes that i believe can carry over i i agree completely with what you're saying but i do want to address the fact that both teams can say that about every single game this series because the, the Oilers yes. came out. The oil. Let me finish. The, the Oilers came out and had a hell of a first period in Game One and Game Two. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Kings came out. They they silenced what the Oilers did um, in Game Three in terms of that first period. Then they turned it on and they won the third period in Game Three. Then or overtime. Then you go to Game Four. Best period for the Kings in Game One. Oilers maybe their best period in game in uh, in the period in the second period of. of uh, of game four. So both teams are saying we have to put 60 minutes together and, and you know, as simple as it s- sounds, and obviously we know it's not, you know, the Kings aren't going to control a game for 60 minutes against the Oilers likely. And the Oilers aren't going to, con- aren't going to control the game for 60 minutes against the Kings. You know, we saw that last year where the Oilers outscored us 14 to two in games two and three. It's a different team. The teams can't do that to the Kings anymore because of the upgrades that they've made in net, the upgrades that they've put on uh, in multiple different areas as well, and the growth of some of the young players. So um, both teams are talking about, you know, play a full 60 minutes. The only thing is, is neither team has the ability to say it's our turn to play 60 minutes because they're just going head to head and they know each other too well. So, you know, I bring it back to converting on the opportunities and, you know, making the most out of the mistakes and obviously on the other end, limiting your mistakes, especially in the D zone or, or in terms of penalties as well. So here's the difference between the two teams from my perspective. Okay. Edmonton made two changes that were pretty significant. One is putting McDavid and actually, you know what? Scratch that three changes. For various different reasons. One is that they went to 11-7 because Yanmark is out. And so they had to change their entire, right? Yeah, after game one. Yeah, Yeah. and that's, there's nothing to be done about that. But that is a change, right? Switching to 11-7. Two, in game four, they put McDavid and Dreisaitl together, which is significant. And and it was something they didn't have to do. Three, they Mm -hmm. pulled their goaltender at the end of the first period and introduced the second goalie into the, into the series. So that's three changes that Edmonton had to make for, or felt they had to make for various reasons that fundamentally change not only who they are as an opponent, but also how you might look at them. So the fallout of that is now we have a conversation about who do they start Skinner or Campbell Skinner or Campbell Mm -hmm. Kings will have to play against whoever they start. It doesn't sit doesn't really matter well right? hopefully they have to play against both next year <laughs> fair point good things, yes that would that no you're right you're not wrong um but the point but is yes. like there's not much the kings can do about that when it comes to the other two decisions the oilers played Clem costin um pulling up the numbers here is like three minutes and 37 seconds so they were already down to 11 forwards 
you're playing your 11th forward less than four minutes. You're really now down to 10 forwards. Yep. And they, yes, they have seven defensemen, but they played Broberg and Desharnay. Is, is it? Deharnay, it's Deharnay. Deharnay no was essentially benched after he got walked against Victor Arvidsson. Right. Oberg, who played, I believe, three minutes, uh, if I recall correctly, in game three, um, and took his place and, and frankly played much, much better and was uh, a very solid defensive uh, unit uh, when he was out there in the you know third line pair minutes, so to speak. So yeah, it was essentially 10 and 6. Mm-hmm. Um but that's a system that the Oilers are confident they can continue with. As a seven-game series goes on, yeah, there's, I think, from a scientific standpoint, you you assume they're going to get run down a little bit more. But um, you know, when you've got two all-worldly players playing, quote-unquote, half the game as a forward, that's something that you're – they're taking a gamble, but – that's the type of game that they have to play strategically to be able to be successful. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're playing a dangerous game if you're the Oilers, but you have to play that game if you want to win, especially but against a team that gives them so much trouble against the Kings. That puts them in a very precarious position when it comes to that 60 minute conversation, because now the Kings, they still need to sort out the fourth line because the Kings were not playing their fourth line much more than the Oilers were playing. No, Clim, four, Clim minutes, Clim yep, yeah. four minutes for, uh, for two of the uh, three. And the Kings' bottom pair of Edler and Jersey didn't play a ton more than Broberg and Dayarnay. Uh Yes, and then Dersey, uh not Dersey, but um, Edler, I believe, got one shift in overtime. Yeah. Um, and Dersey was out there with Dowdy when he was out there. So, yeah, yeah it's – and that's – got to shorten the bench with not, – not to say, you know, trust levels and, and calling out players who didn't play, but – That's you know, what it was. Like, let's be honest. Like, you look at the shift chart, and you can see the fourth line did not play, I think, more than two shifts in the third period. Yep. They, you know, they value a Kopitar who's, you know, played more and might be a little bit more out of breath or fatigue than, you know, than the fourth line who's obviously fresh. But, you know, you're out of sync if you don't get going. And once you get into a routine and you've been sitting on the bench and have one shift a period, it's uh, it's almost just like take them out of the game. So now we're looking at two teams that are essentially going to play three lines versus three lines, two pairs versus two pairs. But Edmonton's top line, if it's got McDavid and Dreisaitl on it, Mm -hmm. is better than any other team's top line in the league, arguably. Yes. But the Kings' top nine are better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are better than the Oilers' top nine. Yeah, it's especially with Fiala back in the lineup. You know, we continued uh, to continue the the topic of the Blake Lazat thing. That changes the dynamics of the Kings um, to an extreme degree if he's back uh, back in the lineup at some point playing as that fourth line. Because then you can roll them, and that gets a lot easier. Um, the trust levels, the 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 factor that you know Lazat has had in his career with the Kings is immense. So yeah, it's as of right now you're looking at you know, top nine versus frankly top six and a half. Cause they tend to just double shift 29 or 97 with the third line. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a war of attrition at the same time. Um, the Kings have to like the way that their top nine performed in game four, especially with the way that Fiala and Velarde connected. Um, I know the, the concern as we mentioned in game four was, minus three from the top unit in Kopitar, uh, Tempe and, and Q. Um, so 
without the last change, when Todd had the decision and chose for those two to be on the ice against uh, their big line, uh, can we get Deneau out there? Or is that a choice that Todd wants to have Deneau's line out there? Because like we said, the second line for the Kings was phenomenal. They had a plethora of chances. Deneau obviously had quite a few in tight and didn't score in that second period. And and we know what Victor Arvidsson did throughout the game as well. So um, decisions to be made. It's going to be harder when you're on the road and don't get the last change. But definitely those are some things that you've got to look for and see which strategy the Kings tried to go with. This is where that 60-minute difference comes. 60 plus. Hopefully it's just (laughs) 60 for my... For everybody's health. If, if you know, I said it last night in the recap, you know, the fourth line has to find a way to, to shift from negative to just to neutral because yeah. every minute you have where McDavid and Dreisaitl, McDavid and or Dreisaitl are not on the ice and it's half the game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think McDavid played yes. 30 minutes last night, which I get it. There's more than 60 minutes in last night's game, but yeah. those you guys are out there a lot. Yeah. When they're not out there, you have to find a way to to not just hold even with the Oilers, but but take a lead against the Oilers because McDavid and Drysidle were on the ice for five for all five goals last night. Yeah, you had Drysidle at twenty eight oh nine, and you had McDavid at thirty twenty two. So yeah, you know almost <laughs> half the game. But that's and you're right. There were times where you know you look at as you know Dennis and I kind of briefly brought up in the um, in the post game is, you know, Bukestead out there winning those draws. And that was something that, you know, you've got to take advantage of because how important is puck possession? And for that team, puck possession is everything. For the Kings, yeah, we can defend. We have a great system. The 1-3-1 works. You know, defensive-wise, since um, since Corby Solo has come in, even with Copley and Nett, the numbers have gone way down in terms of defensive uh, goals against and, and high-danger chances. That said, you know, life's better when the puck is on your stick. And and for the Kings to not have the puck on their stick when neither of those guys are on the ice, uh, that's that's what, you know, I think we started to see that early on in the overtime and things tended to to elevate and the, you know, the ice started to tilt a little bit more in Edmonton's direction because of um, the, 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 the way that the second and the third line of Edmonton was um, holding on to some control more so than the Kings fans would have liked to see. You want to hear an absolutely everyone, deranged stat? It's not even a stat. It's just a fact. Sure. And it's, I hate it so much. Um, Leon Dreisaitl has been on the ice for every single goal for the Edmonton Oilers in the series. <laughs> I wish, uh, <laughs> I I wish whoever's listening could have seen my eyes. Yeah, me. your eyes just about <laughs> bugged out. I, I <laughs> oh didn't, my God. When somebody said it to me, I didn't believe them. Yeah, you're like, I was like, no that's one. not true. So then I went to Natural Satrick, looked up the series, and it was like, oh, he's on the ice for 14 goals. And then I had to sit there and be like, there's five goals in game four. There was three goals in game And then I just went to Twitter, and I found a bunch of people just all saying, like, that's insane. So, I mean, you know, there is the question, and this was just a question I was having with the person I was talking about it today. Like, who's actually more dangerous, Dreisaitl or McDavid? Well, in the series, it's been Dreisaitl. Yeah, no question. Every step points to it, and, you know, Dennis talked about that as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, is that a good thing? We don't. I mean, it's two two. Is it? You know, I think you you mentioned this in the uh, the the pregame for for game three of you know all the media being like you can only hold McDavid back for so long. Well, mm-hmm. you know, is that true? I mean, the Kings are stopping one guy, and the other guy is 
lighting it up. It's, you know, you've got the two best players in terms of point wise in the league on the same team and, and on the same line. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to stop. And, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to shut them down. It's you've got to limit them as much as possible and take advantage um, of the opportunities that you're given when they're either not on the ice or they're in the defensive zone. Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. Some good news, at least against Bjugstad in the face-off dot. Uh, Gabriel Velarde won uh, nine to three in their face-off. That's great. In their, excuse yeah, me, that's, face-off matchups. That's huge. So that's a good sign. But again, the point is like when those two guys are not on the ice, it's not enough to be neutral, and it's certainly not enough to be in the negative. You have to find a way to punish the team for not having more Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's. And then on top of that, when they are on the ice, you cannot give up five goals. I get the two of them are on the power play. Easier said than done. I man. get it. I get it. But, you know. I think we go back to what Todd said when it came to the power play. And this is when they won. I think it was game three. And he said, anytime that, you know, we're net zero against special teams, that's a win in our book. It's got to be the opposite when it comes to when those two aren't on the ice, you have got to come out on top. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's in certain games they have in certain games they haven't. When you win, it, it, they most likely have. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously an emphasis. It's not easy. And, you know, they're going to be back in Edmonton. They don't have the last change. Life is going to be harder. But, you know, in the flow of the game, obviously that's, you know, Todd being able to to move the lines how he wants or, um you know, uh, or Jim Hiller, whoever's, you know, making the, the decisions in game um, in terms of the flow of the game, getting people out there, double shifting them like they do with McDavid. You know, you've got to get the matchups you want, especially when you don't have that last change and uh, every opportunity possible, you know, offensive zone draws off icing. You know, I'm not saying anything that the coaching staff doesn't know. So um, it's just a matter of conversion at this point. One of the things that I like about having Dennis in the post-game media scrums is that even though <laughs> even though he's not writing an article and he's not on deadline or anything, he's the person who will ask the question that you know, even as he's asking it, you know what the coach's answer is going to be. The coach's answer is going to be, this is not a serious question. And yet it is a question that, at it's least in my mind, so makes perfect fun, sense. And I love it. Yeah. yeah, so like last night he asked him, did you lose the game in overtime or in the second period? And mm-hmm. Todd's answer was predictable. We lost it in overtime. That's when the goal was scored, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But if you wanted to tell me from an emotional you know, standpoint, when I used to, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting my own thought and backtracking to, to give context for the thought. When I was growing up watching the game <clears throat> with my dad, we'd be watching games and it would be like the second period of a meaningless game in November and it'd be a power play. And, and he would say something like, if they don't score here, they're missing the playoffs. 
Yeah, no, I do it. We all do that. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it's an it's a totally ridiculous statement, but it makes yeah. sense. You know exactly what it means. Yeah. And and that's all I kept doing to myself last night during the second period was like, if they don't kill this penalty, they're losing the series. If they don't, you know, yeah. next goal wins the series, right? It's like three yep. to one in the second period. I'm like, whoever scores next is winning the series. And it's <laughs> almost never true. But of course, you remember it every time it is true. And you point back to it and you go, ah. And then see, you're like, man. dude, I told you, bro. <laughs> exactly. So when, when Dennis asks that question, I believe that's essentially what he's getting at. And yeah. The reality is they did lose it in overtime. Todd is right. They yeah. gave up a three-goal lead in the second. They got the lead back. They had the lead with whatever, five minutes left in the period. 302 was the marker of <sighs> change. Yeesh. Um, it's okay. I wrote the recap earlier. <laughs> but but they could have won, right? They still could have won, which is what made it such a kick in the nuts that they didn't. Um but they did enough things solidly in game four. And it was Kevin Fiala's first game back in the lineup. And it was Gabriel Velarde's second game back in the lineup. Third. Third. Mm-hmm. Um, I And they took one in Edmonton last year. They took one in Edmonton this year. I perhaps foolishly believe they can win game five without changing anything about what they did in game four. Whereas well, in I... order to win game four, Edmonton had to change multiple things about what they did yeah i agree with what you're saying i I think that the kings can easily take a ton of positives from the game perfect first period phenomenal 17 1658 of the third period Mm -hmm. you've got to like what you saw there um unfortunately the other i can't do math 20 plus yeah the rest of the game plus however long it was into overtime all of that was edmonton um, for the most part, the, it, listen, man, this is a game of swings. You know, we talk about momentum. I agree that I, as a player, I don't think it goes from game to game and in terms of carryover, but the game itself is all about momentum. You know, things snowball, you get a power play, you get momentum from that or a penalty kill, you get momentum from that. You know, it, for me, it's a matter of the Kings being able to affect Edmonton and their defensemen specifically with the puck in terms of forecheck, because that is an area where the the, the uh, <laughs> where the Kings have been so lethal and so effective because turning the pucks over in the offensive zone. How many times have we seen the second line just wreck havoc on, on defense? You get a turnover, spend the whole minute and change in the offensive zone, you change. So that's an area where I think we didn't see as much. And I think that's because we just didn't have the puck that much. Yeah, one narrative that I do want to sort of hear less of, uh, not narrative, but but key to the game or whatever is staying out of the box. Edmonton has only had 2.75 power play opportunities per game. They have 11. That's tied with the Panthers for least, well, second least in the playoffs. Yeah, but what's Colorado. their conversion rate? No, no, that, but. but That's the issue. Point is, like, we are not giving them a ton of we. The Kings are not giving them it's a ton. It's a we thing. I know. Like I, I mentioned. I'm going to catch it every time. The check. Um, but when Edmonton's on the power play, they got to find a way to stop them. And yeah. and if the and if the dis- and if the penalty calls are three to two for one team over the other every night for the rest that's of the that's a series, normal hockey game. Yeah, I'm fine yeah. with that. It's not. And and I've seen all these things. People saying it's the worst officiated playoffs in a very long time. It I don't is. feel like that. It may be. I'm not watching <laughs> all the other series very closely. I see that Carolina and Tampa, and New York and Toronto and Minnesota. But I mean, like we're the Kings have 17 power play opportunities to Edmonton's 11. 
So yeah. even if it is poorly officiated, it's not poorly officiated significantly in their favor. You can say that there were missed calls. There's always going to be missed calls. But at the end of the day, the Kings do not find themselves 2-2 two to two in this series because of the officiating. They find themselves 2-2 two to two in this series, as infuriating as it is to me to admit that tennis is right. Because Edmonton's really good, and the Kings yeah. are really good. And it's a seven-game series, and two really good teams should play each other fairly it's, evenly. It's, it's, you know, it's it's... You know, it's a heavyweight battle, and they're just throwing haymakers at each other. They're they keep hitting each other, and, and that's theoretically and physically. And for the Kings, you know, it's a frustrating loss, especially because in your head, you forgot that you stole game one. You're up two to one. You're at home. You've got a three goal lead. You know, all things in that sentence, you think you're going to come away with it, but like you talked about in the post game. It didn't feel like a comfortable three goal lead. It was a matter of, okay, there's too much time left on the clock, you know, and Edmonton, they have the firepower. They're the the best offensive team in the league. They had the best power play of all time. Um, like you mentioned, man, they're a good team. They know how to score. Um, and as long as the puck isn't on the King's stick, the Kings are at a disadvantage. And that's where um, I think we saw things kind of, change ebbs and flows between the first period and the second period and then the majority of the third period versus a little bit more of overtime so you know it's again it's you know execution it's the forecheck it's the ability to uh, limit the fast break chances for Edmonton and obviously we talk about the penalties but just killing the penalties opposed to taking the penalties is, is something that we uh, hope to see more of at least so here's a question I asked uh, Jim and Zach after game three heading into game four when Colorado, excuse me, I keep doing that. When Ontario had lost their playoff round to Colorado and suddenly all of the players that are were on the Ontario reign are now available to rejoin the LA Kings. The question is, do you change the lineup with some combination or maybe just a single player who has not played in this playoff series yet? And whether that's Sean Walker, or Alex Laferriere, or inserting Zach McEwen back into the lineup. Do you make any sort of change? I would not change anything in the top nine. If Blake Lazat's healthy, obviously he's back in. Like yeah, period, of course. Period, period the end. Um, it's a good question, Jesse. Um, in terms of defense, you know, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised if. Walker joins the lineup and mm-hmm. I'm at some point in the series. I still don't know if it's game five. If I'm, you know, in charge, I, the question I asked it, or I would ask myself if I'm the coach or the staff, or if I was asking them about the playing is, you know, in terms of trust and the ability to light that fuse at the fourth line for the Kings has done so much, especially in the past two years. If you think that someone that what you've seen in, you know, the last four games, in the lineup hasn't done that you see Ken, because if you don't trust them, it's back to the three line game. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an issue with, you know, trying something. I mean, oh, it doesn't work. Cause guess what? The other, you know, they played four minutes in the last game. So I have no strength. Issue. The fourth line played three minutes and 19 seconds. Like that, that's not playing. Yeah. So, you know, you're in Edmonton. It's kind of hard to throw someone who's never been in an NHL game in, um, if uh, in terms of little Ferrier, but he's a hell of a player. We've seen what he can do um, at college. Obviously, I've followed him as you know covering our prospects in many different ways. Um, 
but it's a tough decision and i don't think there's a right or a wrong at least i can't say like oh this guy cannot play or how is this guy not in the lineup um the only thing is, is you hope Lazat can come back soon um we don't know the the status on him um i've kind of gone roundabout and not really answered the question in terms of what i changed the lineup but um in terms of like you mentioned a little bit earlier in the pod you have to like what you saw for quite a bit of game four and the same thing goes for game one, two, and three. There's portions of the game where you know the, the things were rolling, the guys were buzzing. Um, in this case, it's it's again, it's 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 a toss up. You know, you can continue at the fourth line, or you could you know put someone in and just see if it sparks something. I think there's loads to like about game four, and the reason I'm curious about the change is that if you're going to go three on three and two on two pairs and lines. Yeah. At some point, you need a rest, even if it's a shift. 100%. And, uh, that's and, a great point, yes. And there are three days off between games five and game six, I think. If Edmonton wants to run Dreisaitl and McDavid for those kinds of minutes, that three-day shift is going to help them just as much as it's going to help us. I'm saying if McDavid plays another 30-minute game, Expect it too, because they know they've got three days to rest. I That's think it, my point. I think it helps them more because you're going to see them every other shift. Right. You know, those guys clearly didn't fatigue. They were just as much of a factor in, you know, 10 minutes into overtime, you know, than they were throughout the whole game. Uh, that said, you've got to expect it because they have three days to get their legs off. The Kings, you know, yes, we also have a three day rest, but it's not as much of a need because of the situation on how. Todd likes to run the lines and how deep the Kings are, you know, especially one through nine. Well, um, we've, we've got a 35 year old first line center, two third line players who are returning after not playing for yep. a long time. Yep. Victor and Arvidsson Fiala got looked, launched. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and Fiala looked great in the first period. He had chances throughout the game, but it, the, the first period was extremely noticeable. The rest of the game, not so much in terms of, you know, relatively speaking from what we saw in the first. So was that rust? Was that rest? You know, he probably had some fatigue and legs because you can't match. There's one thing to match game speed in the NHL. It's another thing to match NHL playoff game speed. So, you know, legs under him, another game is going to help him. But like you said, we, you know, he hasn't skated in, in terms of this intensity for, uh, you know, 365 days, so to speak. So, um, you know, is that still a factor in game two? We'll find out. And and I would just, you know, I'm going to channel my inner uh, Joker from the Dark Knight here. I would just at this point, given that the coaching staff appears not to have full trust in the full lineup, mm -hmm. introduce a little chaos, <laughs> even if it's even if that player is only going to play for four or five minutes a night. Yeah, no, again, that's, I'm not, that's four I'm... or five minutes a night that the Oilers have to account for that previously they have not. Yeah, no, I'm not opposed either way. I have no hard feelings um, on on either set of this <laughs> equation. Fair enough. Um, and I can understand both sides of it. I, I get it. I, I get if you say, let's throw in a guy who hasn't been here. He's got the offensive pop or let's add some physicality to the lineup, uh, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe we need more scoring. Maybe we need more physicality, whatever the coaches feel that they need to improve or give themselves a better chance to win. Um, I think we'll see what they think is the best choice. It's going to be, 
I thought I was going to be most nervous in game four, but that's silly. I'm going to be most game, nervous in game five, and then I'll be most nervous in game six. It just and gets if, worse if, and worse. Yeah, man. and if it like, goes that far, it, I'll be most nervous in game seven. As a former player, like I think I said this up in the press box too, like I can't, I can't handle the nerves, especially <laughs> in overtime. It's so cringy mm-hmm. compared to being on the ice or, or you know, in the lineup on the bench watching whatever it may be. Like it's just two different worlds. You're not nervous. You're just playing the game, and then up top, it's like I'm like a mother of three watching a goalie play. Like <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, it's rough. All right, Jack. I think that's going to wrap it up. Wrap it up for us here. Obviously, everybody hopes the Kings uh, come back yeah. to Crypto.com in a week <laughs> with an opportunity to to close it out. But even if they don't, um, another game in a week. Yeah. Key we'll to talk the game. to you again. Key What's to the that? game. Key to the game check yeah no question all right jack thank you very much thanks for listening kings fans we'll talk to you soon